Welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Here to introduce you to the great musicians and music businesses and organizations of Wisconsin. Every week, Wisconsin Music Podcast will be bringing you great information on what's happening in the Wisconsin music world. For our music-loving listeners, we'll bring you music that you haven't even heard of yet from unique and talented artists and hear about their journey so far. You'll either hear live performances of their songs or songs from their selected discography. For our musicians out there wondering what they can do to further their recognition, we'll be calling upon Wisconsin music businesses and organizations to enlighten you on what they're doing to help further your music journey. And now, here's your host, Zach. Thanks, Dean. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Wisconsin Music Podcast. This week, we have Irish virtuoso guitarist Shane Hennessy. He has established himself as one of the leading guitarists of the world stage, known widely for his finger style, flat picking, and percussive guitar playing approaches. Although he is not a Wisconsin native, he is playing at the Irish Fest coming up this weekend down at the Summerfest grounds. So we're going to get right into his interview. We're also going to hear one of his songs at the end of the podcast, so stay tuned for that. And let's get right into the interview with Shane Hennessy. Welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. This week we have Irish virtuoso guitarist Shane Hennessy. Um, and it says he's established himself as one of the leading guitarists on the world stage, known widely for his finger style, flat picking, and percussive guitar playing approaches. Um, he's billed as one of the most exciting live performers of his generation, with an ability to move between styles and genres with ease. And he's going to be appearing at Irish Fest on the Summerfest grounds in Milwaukee this uh, coming week, the 18th, 19th or the 19th, the 20th, and the 21st. So, Shane, welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, Zach. I, I'm great to have you here. It's it's great to hear from um, musicians from all over the world, especially those that are performing in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So why don't we give it like a quick summary of your musical background? Yeah, so um, my musical experience started, I suppose, when I was about four years old. Um, in school in Ireland, at least the school I went at the time, you had to do music, you had to learn an instrument, and that was it. Um, so I tried the violin, I wasn't particularly good at it. My teacher had a concertina, you know, like the small hexagon-shaped accordion. So she had one of those, so I decided that I wanted an accordion. And then Santa Claus brought me an accordion for Christmas when I was four. <laughs> Played nothing but Irish traditional music between age four and about age 12. And then when I was 12... I heard Jane Taylor, uh, I heard his music for the first time, and I fell in love with the sound of guitar playing. So I said to my dad, that's what I want to do, I want to learn how to play the guitar, and I asked him to teach me. So dad was able to teach me the first couple of chords on the guitar, and I got my start that way. But the finger picking and um, the stuff that I do now, um, and particularly at that time with the James Taylor stuff, I learned that purely by ear. So I would sit down with the CD player at home, James Taylor's Greatest Hits, and I would learn every song on that album. And I used to learn them the same way I learned traditional tunes, note by note. I I was never, even though most guitar players would probably think in chords rather than single notes for something like that, I did it totally backwards. I was thinking of the individual notes, listening to it like a traditional music tune. 
and that's how I taught myself how to play all these individual notes on the guitar. So I was playing that kind of stuff before I could even strum chords properly, you know. Um, but that's my background as a musician, an awful lot of Irish traditional music on the concertina. And then from age 12 onwards, I was exposed to all these guitar players like James Taylor and then Andy McKee is another big name. He's from Kansas. He had a viral video on YouTube years ago, just as YouTube came out. I got introduced to Tommy Emmanuel, who became one of my biggest influences on the guitar. Um, and then it's just, just grown from there. It has grown from kind of the focus on solo guitar, acoustic fingerstyle guitar music, and just branched out completely. I'm a huge fan of Steely Dan and Donald Fagan as well, so that's, you know, that, that's another musical direction that I'm kind of still going in, um, I feel. Uh, but as far as the background, it was all traditional music. Wonderful. Um, so do you have a really strong relative pitch or do you have um, what they call perfect pitch? As it happens, I have perfect pitch. And I, when I was growing up, I never realized that that wasn't the norm, particularly with Irish music, because a lot of Irish music is generally in the keys of D or G, kind of E minor, A minor, that sort of thing. And uh, so people used to ask me, what are the notes for that second part? And I'd be thinking, you know, B, 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 A, G, B, D, B, A, B, G, G, A, B. And, and people would be kind of like asking, say, oh, what's, what's that part in the middle? And I was kind of thinking, this is like asking me what color is the sky or what color is the, the wall <laughs> over there. I thought it was the most normal thing. And I just thought people were really not tuned in. And it's only when I got older I realized that, you know, people could say, oh, what's that note? And I'd be able to say straight away, oh, that's a B flat. So for me, it was it was kind of a uh, it was a discovery to find that other people don't have it rather than me having it. If you get me, yeah. Uh, but but I think relative pitch, most people will agree, is a different skill to perfect pitch. Yeah. Um. So I've I've definitely trained up my ear an awful lot in in that sense as well. Wonderful. Um, and then I guess the next follow up question to that would be: Is do you find that perfect pitch is a sometimes a hindrance or has it always been something really helpful through your music career so far? Never been a hindrance at all. I, I think the biggest misconception about having perfect pitch is that music that's not in tune or that is not perfectly, you know, 440 hertz must really annoy you. And that's, that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, if, if anything, um, perfect pitch is great because it's a bit like a ruler in that a ruler doesn't tell you how long something should be, it just tells you how long it is. So okay. I always have a good idea of where the note is and and uh, and how it relates to other notes around it. But um, the whole idea that it would annoy me more than anybody else is definitely isn't true. It's always been helpful to me, and to be honest, I've, I've done a lot of projects where my ear has, has really saved me, you know, because I can't read music. Okay. Uh, over the the pandemic, over the lockdown, one of my goals was to understand music theory better because that's something I never really dived into. So I have a much better understanding of theory now. But if it came to putting music in front of me and saying play that line, I would be totally useless. I'd be absolutely awful. So my ear. I did a project with Bill Whelan, the Irish composer. He composed Riverdance. This is okay. um, a famous piece. And uh, I did a project with him a couple of years ago, and I did the whole thing by ear, like note by note. It was very complex music, um, but I, I wasn't able to do it any other way. I had to get him to send me uh, essentially the MIDI version of his, uh, of his score, and my version separated from it. And I would go and learn all the individual notes and kind of put them together where I needed to put them, rather than 
you know, I'm, I'm sure a, a more qualified or, or a more trained musician than me could probably sight read it, but uh, I, I don't have that ability. But I make up for it with my ear. Gotcha. So um, you said over the pandemic you wanted to learn more music theory. So is that something that you're going to continue to work on is reading music and learning theory over, over your span of your career? I, I think so. I think, you know, it, it, it can never hurt to have more information. It's definitely... Um, it's definitely useful in terms of conversing with other musicians who think that way. You know, I was always rooted in uh, explaining things how I felt about them, if you get me. So, you know, for me, trying to explain chords or trying to explain single note, you know, melody lines or whatever, I would have my own kind of way of describing it. And that is, oh, yeah, it's kind of like an E on top and a B minor on the bottom, and it's a mix of those two. Whereas now I'm actually able to explain that, oh, yeah, well, it comes from, you know, like a Lydian mode or that it, um, you know, th things like that, uh, or in chord inversion, stuff like right. that. I, I was never really au fait with that kind of stuff. I, I always knew what stuff felt like and what it should sound like, but I never really had the vocabulary for it. And I suppose the thing was that once I learned what all of these terms actually meant, my ear already knew what they were. It's just I couldn't. I never had the name for it. If you gotcha. Get me. Yep. Um, so that's that's what happened there. Um, the sight reading, in terms of reading a score, it's probably something I'll work on eventually, but not immediately. Okay. Um, I've I've been able to get away with it so far. Now there will come a day where I don't get away with it as well so I <laughs> I really should uh, I really should kind of up my skills in that department but I've I've done all right so far good good and speaking about doing um doing so uh, doing good so far what do you kind of advice would you have for musicians that um are kind of like in the same boat as you are they got the same skills you are you know how what would be some of the top three things they should work on um to keep becoming a better musician? The best advice I think I can give to anybody, apart from obviously work hard, is to always be open to taking in ideas from music that you like, even if it doesn't necessarily suit your genre. There's, there's a lot of music that I love playing, and it doesn't necessarily suit in its original form to what I do now as a solo guitarist and a singer. But I try and take those influences from everywhere, and I really think that the only way that you can create your own sound as a musician is to really go looking for how you can make the sounds that you like work for you. So, for example, for me, I mean, I listen to all kinds of different music. I really like um, music from uh, traditional music from other cultures. Um, I really love, as I said earlier on, Donald Fagan and Steely Dan and bands like you know Level Forty Two and Pat Metheny and people like that. Um, I love traditional music, uh, I love jazz music and swing music and classical music, and I'm always trying to find ways where I can borrow ideas from all those genres of music. So I would never uh, discount a, uh, a style or a genre of music because it's not immediately similar to what you do. Sometimes you can be really surprised by listening past the sound of the music and listening to the, the way the music is arranged or put together or the kind of the core musical ideas. I've, uh, there's a guitar player named Buster B. Jones, and he was great at that in that he could play what you would think would be four completely different riffs on the guitar, and he would break it down and say, actually, it's just the way I approach them. It's the same riff four ways. Um, and it's, and so I suppose the point behind all of that is if you can listen past the sound of a style of music or an instrument and listen to what's actually going on in the music you can learn a lot 
Excellent. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, let's kind of talk about where you're from and the local scene attitude. Obviously, a lot of the listeners are in Wisconsin, so you know a lot of them maybe haven't experienced um, the music scene where you're from. Why don't you kind of tell us like the positives and the struggles that you have kind of experienced playing um, in your local town? Well, I think it's a uh, it's a universal story. I think at this stage, in that music, no matter where you live in the world, is a tough market to break into. It's tough to get a following. Sometimes it can be tough if you just want to play with your friends at the weekend. It can be tough to get a gig. That's the same everywhere. So I'm from a place called Carlow in Ireland, and it's about an hour south, kind of southwest of Dublin, and. Um, you know, I was lucky when I was growing up in that the traditional music scene in Ireland is very strong, and you'll find a session going on, as in an Irish music, traditional music session. You'll find those going on, you know, in every single town. Maybe not every night of the week, but you're guaranteed to find one or two a week, at least. And so growing up, um, I was part of an organization called Coltus, and they do an awful lot in terms of keeping the tradition alive. Um, they organize, you know, um, competitions and things like that as well so I was involved in that kind of in my in my youth kind of prior to age 12 I'm talking about okay so once I picked up the guitar um, for me I was always a soloist solo guitar was my main thing I, I never really had a huge amount of interest in joining a band I did play with a couple of bands when I was younger just for fun around town and it was always kind of student organized shows and maybe one or two venues in my hometown. As far as the way the scene is in Carlo, in my hometown at the moment, um, there are plenty of musicians. Um, I suppose in the last couple of years we had a, an economic crash in Ireland, well we had it all over the world, but we had it particularly badly in Ireland, um, and especially since the pandemic and everything. Mm -hmm. um, there aren't as many opportunities to perform as, as people might like, but again I think that's, that's a, a universal phenomenon at the moment. Yeah it would be great to have venues that were more open to having music and maybe uh, the, the one thing in Ireland I suppose is that there were all there was always music in the pubs in Ireland in that you'd always have singers and instrumentalists and it was always free they'd often go in and they'd play for beer they'd play for, for pints and so I think a lot of people take music for granted in Ireland because they assume that it's always going to be there. But as Ireland progresses, becomes a more modern country, as we kind of have more tourism coming in, a lot of that culture is is under threat, I think, from the, the allure of the sort of corporate tourism world, if you get me. So yeah. still, if you visit Ireland as a tourist, yeah, you're bound to find plenty of music in Dublin and Galway and all the touristy places, and it's every night of the week. But when it goes out into the less touristy places, um, I think it's probably suffering um, a little bit. And as I said, plenty of musicians. Um, it's probably, if especially if you're a traditional musician or a kind of a, if you sing covers, it's probably a little bit easier to earn a living in Ireland than it is in other countries. Um, and, and there's a huge amount of government support for it as well. You know, for me as a touring musician and also within Ireland, there's a lot of government support you can get as a musician. Um, you know, album recording grants and touring grants and stuff like that. We have a government that really cares, at least at the moment, we have a government that really cares um, about the, the culture country yeah i i saw on your on your website that um one of your albums was um basically funded by one of these consoles correct 
Yeah, the Arts Council in Ireland gave me a grant to uh, to kind of explore some uh, some Irish traditional music in the context of solo guitar performance because it hasn't really been done a huge amount. So I, I did three albums of my own solo guitar kind of original compositions. Uh, Zephyrus was 2015, Marrakesh was 2017, and then Rain Dance was at the beginning of the pandemic, it was April 2020. But um, Idrithio then, that was the fourth project I did, and I recorded it all at home under lockdown, I'd never really recorded myself before. And yeah, that, that whole thing was financed by the Arts Council in Ireland, um, and you know, it was supported by other groups like Music Network, and Culture Ireland, and First Music Contact. Um, all great kind of government or semi-government agencies and they exist to help kind of preserve and also promote the culture and promote kind of the exploration, you know, furthering Irish culture because a lot of people, I suppose, they think about traditional Irish music or they hear Irish music and they have one idea of what mm -hmm. that is. And it's usually right. diddly idly idly idly, that kind of <laughs> stuff. But that's sort of a uh, that's a very narrow view of what Irish music is. You know, Thin Lizzy and the Cranberries were Irish music. U two is Irish music, and you know, Bill Whelan is Irish music, and they, they couldn't be more different in their approach. Right. But I think there's a very, at least to my ears, Irish music is very rich in terms of in all forms, in terms of its harmony, in terms of its melody, its rhythm. Um, I suppose one feature of our music we might have more than other kind of uh, cultures, I suppose, is the fact that we have an awful lot of tunes in 6-8 and 9-8 time, because all of our music was built around dancing for the most right. part, so they're all, they're all at their core, they're all dance tunes. And it's funny, if you go back to the time of Bach and Mozart, all, Mo, a lot of those, uh, their um, uh, compositions were written as dance music as well and over time it changes you know it became a very staid kind of culture and the, you know uh, I think Irish music is lucky in that the dance and the music are still so heavily intertwined so you really feel that pulse in the music that makes you want to move and I think Irish music across the board has that it's just got an edge to it yeah and that's a great segue into the festival that you're going to be playing on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday down at the Summerfest grounds yeah. for Irish Fest. So, yeah, um, obviously, this is not your first time there. Is this like, was what would this be like your third time being at the festival? Uh, at the festival itself, it's my second time. Okay. Um, I've I've played, uh, yeah, I played Milwaukee Irish Fest in two thousand and nineteen, and I did um, that same year. I did Tosa tonight, the concert series that ha happens in Wauwatosa. This year, I mean, just last weekend, I was playing in Lacrosse over on the other side of the state, and I yeah. was up in Appleton as well, okay. um, up towards Green Bay. Um, but for Milwaukee Irish Fest, this is my uh, yeah my second time at the festival. But I mean, it's it's such a treat for me. Not only because part of it is I get to see all my friends who are musicians. We don't get to see each other, you know, one end of the year to the next because we're always traveling and touring. Yeah. Um, but the other side of it is, it's very authentic in how it puts Irish culture across. In that. Some Irish festivals and St. Patrick's Day celebrations and things like that, they're what we would call green beer festivals. So essentially you get the green beer and you get all the old stereotypes and tropes and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. it's, it's, it's not that it's offensive. It's definitely not offensive, but it's not representative of what Irish culture actually is. And so what captured me from the start about the Milwaukee Fest was that 
you have the music there, you have the dance, you also have Irish language workshops. Yeah, I, I remember um, Niall Keegan, who's a professor at the University of Limerick, he was teaching a workshop about different fiddle styles from the different parts of Ireland. There was a guy there three years ago, um, uh, Dominic, he was building a wall in a traditional style. You know, there's a, there's a way of building a wall that you see all over Ireland okay. without any cement. It's just literally stones stacked on top of each other. And, and they're held up by the, the, the weight, kind of the mass of the wall holds it up. Um, and there was a guy doing a demonstration on that. He spent a whole weekend building a full-on wall. Wow. And, and for things like that, I found very, very interesting because there's obviously a deep appreciation there by the committee and by the people involved at the festival that they want it to be authentic. And authentic it definitely is. Yeah. Um, so I was very, very impressed. And, and even the fact that they take a chance on bands who aren't necessarily Celtic. So, for example, uh, me as a performer, I play some Irish music, I play some Celtic music in my set, but it's probably 15% of my set. The rest of it is anything and everything. It's some original stuff, it's some um, you know, Middle Eastern-inspired stuff, it's some bluegrass and Americana-inspired pieces. Um, and so for them to want to represent what modern Irish music is, I think is a phenomenal thing. In that they, they, to my mind, from the time that they began, they never set out to be a green beer festival. Um, so that's that's what I really, really appreciate about the festival more than anything. It's culturally authentic. Yeah, uh, I definitely am hoping to get down there this year. I haven't been okay. down there in a long, long time. Um, but besides you obviously there's going to be a lot of different music going on and you know like you said it's not a re it's not really a green beer celebration it's you know authentic irish so that people are going to be able to get a lot of different styles of irish music while they're down there oh absolutely absolutely i mean off the top of my head i know we banjo three are playing and they mix a lot of irish music with bluegrass and americana as do jig jam as well from phenomenal band uh, you've got people like uh, Scarivore from Scotland. They're kind of a heavier sort of a sound, but they've got all the Celtic influence there. You've got um, people like Aoife Scott and Emma Langford, singer-songwriters uh, from Ireland in the kind of more folk sort of vein. You've got people like Lisa Canny as well. Lisa Canny is doing a lot of stuff with kind of hip-hop and R&B influences mixed in with her harp playing. Um, you've got uh, people like boxing banjo you know they're kind of a, another Irish music and ballads that kind of stuff real high energy sort of stuff um, you've got people like Claire Sands she does a lot of explanation or exploration with kind of different textures and different sounds over her, her fiddle playing and on top of that you've got all the balladeers and you've got guys singing uh, guys and girls singing songs from like you know their grandparents era as well so you've got the cutting edge of Irish music, and you've got all the traditional stuff as well. And you can't say that for every festival, for every Irish festival or event that you see organised. So, and it's 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 as much a musical pleasure for me as it is for anyone else actually being able to experience all of these bands and listen to them. Because, as everybody knows, listening on Spotify or listening on YouTube or whoever it is that you listen to your music is never the same as experiencing no. a band live right. and feeling that energy. Yes, exactly. Now. You're not just doing um, finger picking style and flat picking. I mean, you actually use the guitar as a percussion instrument as well. So, mm -hmm. what um, kind of influenced you to um, use the guitar as a full band, basically? Yeah. So, I mean, the 
the solo guitar scene in general, I suppose, has evolved from uh, a couple of different routes, really. There's generally the sort of, uh, and I'm making a huge oversimplification here, but there's generally the kind of the Chet Atkins finger-picking style that evolved into a lot of different types of players. And then there's the kind of the Michael Hedges uh, style of guitar playing, which involves an awful lot of open tunings and body percussion and stuff like that. So I'm kind of I'm at the moment definitely more on the uh, on the finger picking side of it rather than the percussive guitar side. But I've always liked the fact that you can get a lot of different sounds out of an acoustic guitar. In that you're able to mix the whole finger picking style and and bringing together kind of you know your um, Let's say you're you're like you're if you're doing the whole full band thing, your keyboard part, your drum part, and then your bass part. With then the kind of the Michael Hedges approach, where you're using the kind of the body percussion on the guitar, and you're using. Know, that kind of thing where you're using chords and body percussion not to mention getting into alternate tunings and right. harmonic and finger tapping and all that kind of stuff so for me um, in in terms of what influences me to do that um, I'm really trying to emulate the feeling of music that I like rather than emulating it down to the T like every single note I'm always trying to capture the feeling or the mood of, of music that moves me you know, I have a piece of music called Marrakesh that I wrote, and um, I was trying to go for that real kind of Middle Eastern sort of vibe. Um, I shouldn't say Middle Eastern, it's North African in, in Morocco, but um, the uh, what I was trying to go for was that, that feeling that you get of listening to, to some of that more Eastern-oriented music. There's a lot of intervals they use that we tend to shy away from for the most part in, in Western music. And uh, so for me, trying to lay down that groove in Marrakesh. I'm trying to lay down a heavy groove. And on top of that, I'm trying to use some of this kind of, um, they call it the Spanish Phrygian uh, scale. Uh, yeah. To me, it's just... Um, Some of those slightly more maybe unfamiliar sounds to, yeah. to a lot of Western listeners. But for me, it's all about trying to capture the actual groove of the piece of music and trying to get people to feel that as well. And once you've kind of established a groove and you, you, you capture anybody with a good groove, that's when I try to bring in the influences from uh, whatever it might be, the North African music, the Middle Eastern music, uh, music from Japan, whatever it might be. Uh, whatever vibe I'm going for. South American music in particular, like Brazilian music, is so lush in its harmony. And Brazilian composers, you can you can tell them a mile off because of the way they use chords and the way yeah. they use their melodies around the chords. So I'm always trying to recreate that atmosphere on the guitar on my own.
excellent excellent um as we're wrapping this up uh for those that are going down to the irish fest this coming weekend um do you remember what stage you're playing on and what time your performances are at Oh, um, that is a very good question. I'm not sure, but I know I am on the same stage every day. Um, I don't have my times to hand here um, at the moment. Actually, as I'm talking to you, I might be able to, I might be able to get them up here. But I know that um, uh, it's the same phase, the same stage I was on uh, in 2019, and the um, it's right down at the end of the festival grounds. I think once you come in the main gates, I think you turn turn right and it's right down the end there it's it's they call it their little concert hall down there because it's, it's much more of a listening venue than some of the other stages okay. and that it's away from some of the big stages so you can really hear every detail of the music um so so i'm really looking forward to it uh, i'm on on friday saturday and sunday and from memory it's generally around the kind of three o'clock four o'clock five o'clock that kind of time schedule but if you go on to irishfest.com and type in my name shane hennessy the um, the information will come up. It's it's not coming up in front of me here at the moment, so I can't share it with you. But um, you might be able to find the details and stick it in the <laughs> stick it in the link or the description or something later on. But uh, yeah, if you if you um, take a look at irishfest.com and look at Shane Hennessy, um, search my name and you'll be able to find my stage times there. Looks like you are playing on the Celtic Root stage um, okay. Friday at seven fifteen, Saturday at five fifteen to six thirty. And Sunday at 6.15 to 7.30. Oh, there you go. That's it. There we go. Come down and see me if you're around. There we go. Um, Any questions I haven't asked you that you would like to talk about before I let you go? Questions you haven't asked me? Um, Nothing that comes to mind, to be honest. No, it's it's, uh, more about if you want to ask me any other questions about music or background or teaching or whatever it might be. Um, I guess the only... I guess we could talk about is um, here's one that I, I usually ask people is um, gigs that have made an impression on you and why they did either as a performer or an audience member or both. Oh, well, I think um, definitely seeing Tommy Emmanuel for the first time because Tommy is such a huge influence. Anyone that hears me and knows anything about Tommy Emmanuel will hear the influence immediately. Um, but I remember the first time I saw him as a performer. Uh, he played in Dublin and he was just electric you know as much as I loved his music already from seeing him on YouTube um, the energy in the room that night was electric and it's that performance is what made me think oh I would love to do that I bet you that's such a buzz you know and um, I think that anytime I see a band or I see a group an entertainer an artist whoever it might be anytime I see somebody really giving it a hundred percent giving it all of themselves on the stage you can't help but be sucked in by that. Yeah. Um, so and, and the entertainers that I'm most drawn to and the entertainers that I want to see the most are usually the ones that give it a hundred percent on the stage. You know, it's the same thing listening to um, Nile Rodgers and Sheik. You know, I, I'm a huge Nile Rodgers fan, and when okay. I go to see them live, it's energy from the very start. The energy is kept way up there. My friend Scythian as well. Scythian are playing at the Milwaukee Irish Fest as well, but I've never seen a more energetic band on stage. I mean, those guys, you know, from from the first second, they have the audience by the palm of their hand because those guys are twisting around on stage and twirling and jumping around the place. But they've got their musicianship so tight on top of that as well. And that's what really impresses me. If you can keep your musicianship as tight as if you were really concentrating on it and also being able to kind of let loose and really let that energy flow, 
that's what always really impresses me and draws me in and that's what makes me want to see people you know and I think that's what people enjoy about my performances as well in that when I go on stage I'm there to give people a good time and I'm there to have a good time myself as well you know I always enjoy my performances I prepare for them properly I have my set figured out and when I go up on stage I feel comfortable and if I feel comfortable I can get into the groove if I get into the groove I start feeling really good and really positive if I start feeling really good and really positive I'm gonna play well I'm gonna be full of energy and people are going to feel that energy on the other side and so if you give it a hundred percent on the stage and you have nothing left in the tank you know you've done a good job <laughs> yep I hear you I've I've been there and I know exactly uh, what you're talking about and I know a lot of listeners know exactly what you're talking about so if anybody out there is listening Want to go see Shane perform this weekend? Once again, he's going to be there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday on the Celtic Root Stage. Um, Friday is going to be a 7.15 start. Saturday is going to be a 5.15 start. And Sunday is going to be a 6.15 start. Shane, thank you so much for being on the Wisconsin Music Podcast. It was a pleasure talking with you. So uh, great to meet you finally. And I look forward. I'm hoping I can make it to one of your gigs um, this coming weekend because I would really think I would enjoy it. Oh, phenomenal, phenomenal. Well, if you do, make sure you come up and say hello. It'll be great to meet you in person. Definitely. Yeah, thanks for, Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I appreciate it. And thank you. So go check out Shane down at the Irish Fest coming up this weekend in Milwaukee at the Summerfest Grounds. Once again, perform Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And check out all the other great things going on down at the festival. The music, the food, the history, and all the other great things that are going on down there. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you guys next week.